0: So let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. We're going to look at two primary spots in uh, our lesson uh, today. We want to look at uh, the the fourth chapter or the last chapter in the book of Jonah. And we also want to take a look at a passage in the book of Philippians. So if you'll turn to those two places, uh, Jonah chapter four and then Philippians chapter two. So the lesson tonight I entitled Dealing with Anger. And uh, I, I kind of had a, a funny story this morning to start the Bible study off. I was talking about how, for a, a long period of time, I lived alone, and I really liked living alone. Um, I had a dog, and I had a nice house, and it had lots of rooms, and I had a whole library set up, and it was just a really nice place to live. And I was very happy, very comfortable. I had my friends set, and you know, I wasn't alone all the time, but. But I but I would have not during that period of time if someone had come to me and said, So Sherry, uh, is anger an issue in your life? And I, I would have said, Well, I got a whole list of things here that are issues in my life that are character defects or whatever that I need to be working on. But I would have answered that question by saying, No, you know, anger's just not one of my things. And then I moved in with my friend Barbara. Now, at the first sounds of that, it sounds like Barbara's the problem, and she's sitting right over here. Uh, she 's not the problem. The problem was me. I having lived alone, was not under the the kinds of circumstances where where anger was an issue i didn 't have to wait on someone i didn 't have to you know consider someone else 's feelings i didn 't have to consider someone else 's choices i didn 't have to delay gratification for myself. Suddenly, there was another party in the in the mix, a very kind and gracious one I will add and and suddenly you know boy i I've got anger issues and and it is insidious how disrupt, disruptive and destructive uh, anger and its tributaries can be and in our story we're going to see it just jump off the page in the life of Jonah so let's read <clears throat> chapter four starting in verse number one the Bible says but Jonah was greatly displeased I should pause just to remind you uh, in chapter three uh, the gospel has been presented. Nineveh and all its inhabitants, including the king, have repented, put on sackcloth and ashes, fasted. Uh, a declaration has gone out to the whole countryside. And they are all under uh, the the aura of repentance and, and, and la- allowing God to have his way in their life. And when that happened in the last verse of chapter 3, God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion. He did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So you would think that the men of God would be over in the corner going, yay, God, yippee-doo, isn't this great? I am so thrilled that God has relented and is not destroying these people. But instead, good old Jonah, here's what it says, chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And that word angry means just that angry. And he prayed to the Lord. And it's not really a prayer like full of worship and adoration. It's just him talking and his, and and in his tone and his attitude is irritated. He says, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew, I knew that you are a generous and compassionate God that you're slow to anger and abounding in love a God who relents from sending calamity now oh Lord take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live what instead of having a a a sense of gratitude and joy that the people have not been destroyed and instead have repented and turned to God he's throwing a hissy fit he's He's pouting, he's murmuring, he's complaining. And he gets to the party, even to the place of saying, I just wish I was dead. In verse 4, the Lord asks him the first of two questions. The Lord replied and said, have you any right to be angry? And Jonah went out in verse 5 and sat down at a place east of the city. You should be picturing a pouting little four-year-old who stomps their little posterior out and plops down in the dirt, uh, you know, I'll show you kind of thing. There he made himself a shelter, because it's hot. It's out in the desert. And he sat in the shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. In other words, he's still hoping God's going to zap him. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. God, in his mercy and his grace, is stepping in there again. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. I'm sure he was. But at dawn the next day, the Lord provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. So if he thought it was hot yesterday, wait till the wind comes up. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Question number two, verse nine, but God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? Now, I'm going to leave verse 10 for for another lesson. I, I really want you to see Jonah's attitude. He is ticked. Now, the Bible doesn't give us all the descriptors of what I'm calling being ticked, but he is murmuring. He's muttering under his breath. He's slamming himself down. He's concluding he'd be better if he was just dead. He is totally displeased, angry, talking back to the Lord and all of the uh, the other things that we've already mentioned. And when God asks his questions and they're rhetorical, the answer to both of them is a resounding no. Do you have a right to this? No. Do you have a right to be angry? No. So I, I want to start by, by getting a, a, a handle on Jonah's immaturity, his reaction that, in my opinion, starts with a bunch of murmuring and gossiping. So now, not gossiping, uh, grumbling. I want you to look at that passage I mentioned in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, in 14 it says this, Do everything without complaining or arguing. Another translation would say, do everything without grumbling and disputing, uh, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So the first part says, do everything without complaining or grumbling or, or without arguing. So um, there is a sense here that God is saying there's a standard for those who follow me that's a notch higher than the standard for everyone else. We would hope that society as a whole would have a a level of kindness, a, a level of civility. But for the follower of Jesus, it's up a notch. You you can't just be, you know, semi-civil. You got to you got to crank it up one. You got to you got to go to the level of of kindness or graciousness that's different than the world's. And in particular when he talks about grumbling, He's, he's drawing on a Hebrew word. The word grumbling in Hebrew really means to stop and spend the night. It's the idea of going halfway up a mountain. You don't go all the way up the mountain, but you get halfway up the mountain and you stop. The concept here is that there is a, a, a sense in which you're obstinate. You're not going all the way. You're murmuring, you're complaining, and, and you get halfway through a project and you just sit down in the dirt and whine about it. When, when we grumble, when we murmur, when we, when we talk back under our breath to God, that's what we're doing. We're being obstinate. We're showing, we're showing a, a, a real sense of, I want to do it my way. I don't want it your way. I don't want to go all the way up that hill. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop halfway up, and I'm, I'm going to let you know it. And that's what, that's what Jonah's doing. And, he, and then, then disputing or arguing, he's debating with the Lord. He's muttering under his breath. I don't know why we're doing this. I don't know why you took it. of Do you know anything about those people? About my dad. You can just hear him. That's what he's doing. Now, murmuring shows up a lot in scripture, uh, only because human beings do it a lot. But a classic illustration is the Israelites themselves. And I, I don't want to take you through a ton of scripture, but I do want you to go to Exodus and let's just take a, a glance at the children of Israel after they're following uh, Moses uh, coming out of, out of Egypt. What kind of an attitude uh, did they have? What kind of a response are they giving to his leadership? And we'll start in chapter 15. So they've just come through the, the Red Sea. It's parted on both sides. They've walked through on dry land, a, a miraculous big deal moment. They get on the other side and in verse 22, it says he, he led them from the Red Sea. They went into the desert. They've traveled in the desert without finding water. They couldn't find water when they got to and the water that was there was bitter. Verse 24, here it is. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, well, what are we going to drink? Okay, they just had the high point to, to, the, to their lives and, and arguably to anyone in the Old Testament's life. And, and almost, uh, you know, the next day, they're into this grumbling mode. Look at 16.2. So the Holy Israelites set out. They came to a different desert on the 15th day of the second month. They came out of Egypt in the desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole community. And, and in other words, there's a resounding, uh, you know, a cacophony of people wh- 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 whining and murmuring. I want you to look at verse 7 uh, of this same chapter. So they, um, they're talking now about uh, what are they going to eat. And so Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening, you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. In the morning, you'll see the glory of the Lord, because this is manna. And because he has heard your grumbling against him. And instead of zapping him, God provides what they need. Look down in verse number um, 11. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. And, 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 and here's the, here it is. Here's the meat. Here's the manna. Here's the, what do you, what do you need? Um, in chapter 17, and we could just go through all of this, the whole thing, but in chapter 17, verse number three, he's done all of these things for him, but the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses. Now, before you get all, you know, up in arms about the children of Israel, that sounds like me. I, I am blessed. I am overwhelmed. I have, have God's clear blessing on my life. And I want something different, I want something more. I want something you know uh, that I want. Uh, grumbling is a part of the human experience. Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother and sister, they grumbled against him because he married the wrong woman and then in the New Testament, we see the Pharisees grumbling against the disciples because they were eating and drinking and and making friends with the sinners. So grumbling is a part of the human experience. When we don't get our way, when things are not going the direction we want them to, when the pattern of life has a has a hiccup to it that we're not we're not pleasant with, then out comes all this this groaning, this complaining, this pitching a fence, sitting sitting down in the dirt, and and wanting our way. And and I grab some verses for you that talk about how that that use of our tongue is a window to our soul. What we're thinking is what we say. When we're impatient with our spouse, when we demand our own way, when we're unkind to our kids, when we smart off to somebody at work, when we tell somebody on the road we're not happy with the way they're driving, all of that is a picture of what's going on in our heart. Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. It's our mouth that gets us in trouble, but the mouth is a picture of what's already in our heart. James 1 says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he's deceiving himself and his religion is worthless. We can brag all day long about how we're following Jesus and doing our best to to, to love and follow him in all the right ways, and yet our mouth is unkind, is impatient, it grumbles and murmurs. It, it it's not getting its own way. It's a it's a diametrically opposed visual to what's going on. So we need to control our thoughts so we can control our tongues. Jeremiah seventeen says the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can and, who can understand it? Mankind is bent towards sin, and in that sinful nature, we we are. We are uh, acting on those things. When they come up in our mind and our heart, we often act it out. So Second Corinthians 10 says what we need to do is demolish, wipe them out, all the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought. When we're impatient with our children or our spouse or somebody at work, we grab that impatience and we yank it back up in self-control and we don't let our mouth express it. And sometimes it's not even our mouth; it's our body language, or look on our face, or, or even a sigh or a sound that we make. However we're expressing our displeasure, that needs to be grabbed up. Because what we say affects everything in our life. James says that the tongue is a fire, a, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is it, and is itself set on fire by hell. So the conclusion to all that is the verse I put in your notes under Proverbs 13. He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Jonah just let it rip. In all the things that, that he said and, and, and is not recorded for us, we have to read between the lines. You can just hear him running his mouth off. I knew this was going to happen. I knew, I knew it when I told you I didn't want to go. I knew it. I knew you were going to do this. I didn't want you to do it. They don't deserve it. Nye, 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 nye. But, but I have to admit that it doesn't take a whole lot to get me on a roll on occasion. I get my, myself irritated at something's going on. Somebody's not making me happy. And whether it comes out quite as dramatically as, as it does to Jonah or not, it's still a, an issue of no self-control. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the ways that we show that Christ is really making a difference. If our mouth acts just like it did 40 years ago, well, then we're not growing much in that area. Now, Jonah lets it rip. He just lets his anger go. The grumbling and murmuring, murmuring just reaches, a, a, we'll call it a crescendo, if you will. And, 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 and it brings up the whole issue of anger. Jesus or, or God actually asks him, do you have a reason to be so angry? So I want to take a, a time out here for just a moment or two and talk about anger. So my first question is, is anger sin? Is it sinful to be angry? And so since we're taping tonight and we're not going to try to capture all your voices, I, I want to I I see a thumbs up. How many of you think anger is sin? OK, we've got three or four ups and I'm taking the rest of you do not think anger is sin. OK, so here's the answer from my perspective. The answer is yes and yes. It depends on the context and it depends on the topic. So let's let's look at uh, is is anger sin. So the place to look at that is is in Ephesians four. So if you were in still in Philippians, just flip back a couple of pages and you'll be in Ephesians four. And let's uh, let's let me make my case about how uh, sin, how how anger is is in some cases sin. Four thirty one, Ephesians four thirty one. I'm going to start with verse twenty nine. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And on the other hand, be kind and compassionate to one another. He's saying, get rid of it. It's not good. It, 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 it indeed can be sin. Psalm 37, which I put in your notes, it says, Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evil. So yes, there are definitely times and situations when anger is indeed sin. But there are also times when anger is not sin. There are some things that should provoke a response in us of righteous indignation. Now, Jesus gave us a great example of it in the New Testament when he had a gutful of the money changers turning the house of God into a profit center and he went out there, and he and he turned the tables upside down, and grabbed a whip and was slinging it at everyone, trying to get them out of the the corridors of the the the, the foyers, if you will, of the temple, uh, and and wanted them gone. And he's angry at what they're doing. In the in the Old Testament, there are several examples. One that I put in your notes, in First Samuel, uh, a town uh, Jabesh uh, Gilead, Gilead is under attack. And uh, the men of uh, of that area send out an SOS. Please come help us. And the Israelites were trying to decide whether or not they should or not. And Saul comes along and, and he's and he's really upset. What do you mean? trying to decide whether we're going to go to Jabesh Gilead. Of course we are. To to arms. Grab your grab your animals. Grab your swords. We're going. We got we got to we got to get there and protect our our brothers and sisters. Um, he was mad at them because they weren't angry. That they weren't. Uh, stirred up to respond. I mean, I think everyone within the sound of my voice should get angry over human trafficking, or or child uh, pornography, or or people who murder, or you know, gratuitous violence just for the sake of of kicking somebody uh, uh, you know to the curb. Those kinds of things ought to make us angry. Um, I was telling a story this morning about. Uh, when Brianna left here and was flying back, my goddaughter flying back to uh, to uh, Dallas uh, they they got delayed and by the time they got down to get their luggage they 'd been around for an hour or so waiting and Of course, the crowd was you know unhappy and all of a sudden, the mom with some older teenagers um, started screaming and hollering at them and slapping them around and, and the kids were crying and ducking and and it was it was really getting out of hand and and Brianna stepped in the middle. And, you know, separated the mom from the kids and her boyfriend stepped in and grabbed the mom and pulled her aside. And Brianna took the kids around the corner and pretty soon the police came and arrested the mom. And I was really proud that that she cared enough for those kids. You know, a little righteous indignation. You know, you don't treat people that way. Step to the plate. But but anger, when it runs amok, when it's not in the right context, when it's not over righteous things, then it's wrong. So we can't say, well, it's not really wrong uh, un- unless I, you know, let it go completely because it, it destroys all along the way. It, 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 it causes people's feelings to be destroyed, even in its early stages. So unless it's over a righteous item for which we're taking the position of God, if it's just a, a display of our irritation and frustration, it's no good. Now, feelings can be good or bad. But, but they have to be channeled. The issue is, are they controlled and, and what they're being expressed for? And so we cannot be hasty to show our anger. When, when we get irritated over something, we got to rein it in quick before it goes on down that road. Because it'll, it'll go down the road, we'll make a snarky comment, and then it goes a little further down the road, and we make another snarky comment, and pretty soon we're, we're you know screaming at somebody that we work with. Or, or, you know, the gas station attendant because he, he dropped something or, or didn't pay attention or in some other way irritated us. Any kind of vindictive anger is wrong. When we sit around thinking about how we can get back at somebody, that is wrong. I mean, that's essentially what, what Jonah's doing. He's sitting down wishing God would do something different over this city. He's vindictive in his heart. He wants them to get it. They deserve it. There's no question that they deserve it. But God in his relentless pursuit to redeem them has given them an opportunity to repent. And they have. And instead of Jonah jumping up and down, he's being very vindictive. He wants them to get it. Now, I, I, I've not known very many times in my own life when I when I can say I really was being vindictive. But I gave an example of one this morning. And they all laughed. So I'll give you the, the story too. We used to have a neighbor Years ago, that, that was just a really, a really bad guy. He was not very nice. He, uh, he couldn't stand women. He would cuss us out for no good reason, just because we were pulling in our driveway. And heaven knows if something fell over his fence, it was a big issue. And, and just went on for months and months and months. And it was really an ugly guy. Um, and uh, and one day I came home with a, a stomp and migraine. During that period, I used to have them really, really bad. And I came home from work. And I'd taken my medicine, and I was going upstairs, and I, my, my room was right over the backyard, and his yard was right down from my room. And he had moved all his equipment, all his uh, saws and stuff into his backyard instead of in his garage. And he was out there sawing on a circular saw and a bunch of other stuff, table saw. And it was loud and obnoxious, and I couldn't, I couldn't rest. So I got dressed and I went downstairs and I went next door and of course I'm pounding on his door. He didn't come to his door. I pounded on his back gate. He didn't come to his gate. I tenderly walked through the gate. I got about halfway back to his backyard and he saw me and he blew up screaming and hollering and throwing pieces of wood, not directly at me, but just in anger and screaming at profanities for me to get off his property. And I said to him, look, all I'm asking is, could you move your equipment into your garage? I'm pretty sick. I'm upstairs, if you could just move your saws into the garage, and he just called me every name you can imagine. So I went upstairs, and I got back, laid down in bed, and I would love to tell you that I proceeded to pray for my neighbor. (laughs) Yes, I did not proceed to pray for my neighbor. What I proceeded to do was be vindictive. I'm laying there trying to figure out ways I can be mean to him and never get caught. And and I have to tell you, my best idea, which I never acted on, but it was a really good idea. I was going to take balloons, and I was going to put black ink in the balloons, blow them up, because there was a park back behind our houses. And I was going to let the balloons float around the neighborhood, and when they got over his backyard, I was going to shoot him with the BB gun. The black ink would splat down all over his backyard, all of his, you know, masonry stuff, and no one would ever know. Now... I'm confessing I didn't do it but the sin of vindictive anger was very much there. If somebody does you wrong especially repeatedly it's 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 not all that hard to to develop a heart of anger and and the scripture says it's just not right. And here's the thing when we're angry we're very vulnerable to all kinds of other sin. When we let ourselves go, it's like opening the door to our sin and inviting Satan, just, you know, throw some more junk in there. Proverbs says uh, in verse 29, I put it in your notes, a hot-tempered man commits many sins. When we're hot-tempered, it's it's just that we're going to gobble them up. There's just one thing, and then there's going to be another, and there's going to be some language, and then there's going to be some attitudes, there's going to be some this, there's going to be some that. Maybe some pushing, some shoving. It, it doesn't take long for that thing to escalate. And if we're chronically angry, like like we're angry all the time, that's going to suggest that there's a root of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about don't let a root of bitterness grow up in your heart. And if you catch yourself, you know, very often, regularly, l- leaning towards some, some serious anger and irritation to the people that you're with, workmates, home, whatever, then, then look for that root of bitterness because there might be something in there you're, you're really not dealing with. Maybe it's just disobedience in your own heart, but anger is the way it comes out. And it comes out to whoever happens to be within our, within our purview. So in this case, Jonah lets his anger out at God. And you know he's really happy he's got the vine and then when the worm comes and eats up the vine, now he's really mad about that again. And he's going to the point of devastation saying, I wish I just died. And along that time, of course, God comes in and asks the second question, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? And he says, oh, I do. We self-justify our anger. I wouldn't be so angry if you didn't, whatever. You know, if you would stop this, then I wouldn't that. Whatever the pet issue is with your child or your spouse or or the guy you work with, it's really easy to point the finger and go, well, I'm only angry because of you. No, you're angry because you lack self-control. That doesn't mean the other person doesn't have something they might need to work on as well. But you can't blame other people because you're angry. Anger is a uh, a self-inflicted wound. And we have to be responsible for it for ourselves. So I I asked the question in my my notes. So what do we do? Uh, If if anger and its pre, 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 yeah the predecessor of murmuring is a natural part of, of the sinful life that, that we could live if we don't rein it in, what do we do when we're frustrated or hurt or angry at God? So what, what do you do when circumstances occur and, and you're angry at God? Let's say a loved one passes away uh, very prematurely, very suddenly, and it's very hurtful you know, you, you're, you're going to be angry at God, likely. You're going, to, you're going to have some words with him. You're going to have some discussion about why this and why that. First Chronicles chapter 13, there's a great passage in there when, when a loved one dies and, and, and really what happens is there's an expression of, of irritation and then there's three months of silence and then the light bulb comes on and the person can deal with it. There are times when God irritates us, when we don't understand what's going on. And I put in your notes my own reflection about this. And, and the first thing I said is, talk to him about it. Don't don't talk to your neighbor or somebody at work or, or or take it out on your kids. Talk to the Lord about it. You know we can trust him even when we're angry. The 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 Book of Psalms in our Bible are to a large extent filled with occasions when David let it rip. I want to I want to show you just one. Um, Psalm 13. So turn in your Bible to to Psalm chapter 13. David was uh, chased around for things that he never did. Saul chased him down, tried to kill him. His son tried to kill him. There was there were great moments of of, of fear and frustration, and he and he's ticked at the Lord. And in Psalm uh, chapter 13, he starts a whole. Six verses of this. He starts off in verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So let's pause just there. He's not pulling any punches. It's not like God doesn't know when we're ticked anyway. He's just expressing it to him. He's taking his his anguish directly to the Lord. He's being honest about it. He's seeking his face. He's looking for answers and directions from the Lord. He's not out pouting the, in the South 40. He's trudging right up there to the throne room. And then in, in the last verse there, verse 5, next to the last, but I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart does rejoice in your salvation. So I'm going to sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Now, good translated in that, in that chapter is not, you know, joyous, jump up and down, fun, good. But he knows fundamentally God is for him. So when the bottom falls out and he's, and he's frustrated and angry, he doesn't go off somewhere and pout. He goes right into the throne room and, and has, a, has a heart-to-heart with God now it needs to be respectful it's kind of like when you go toe-to-toe with your boss you still need to be respectful but you can be direct you can be you know in a a clear way expressing your own feelings about a matter as long as there's good a, a good respect and that was the last thing i put in your notes remember there's a chain of command he's god and we're not so even when we're upset and and we're going to the right place. We're going directly to God. We're, we're going in to discuss it with him. We do so with a with a sense of understanding. If God wanted to save Nineveh, so be it. He did. And he allowed them. And when they responded so well and repented, he relented. He took back the calamity. In his love, he allowed that to happen. Now, Jonah doesn't like it. So the place to go is to talk to God, not, not pout. Not scream and holler and and despair of life, but have meaningful conversations with the Lord. I have had those times, not very often, but a few times in my life when I just thought the Lord had, you know, forgotten me. And and the situation was really tough. And and I knew that the one place I needed to go was right into the throne room and have a conversation with him. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I see. Did you do it that way on purpose? Could you help me here? Can you help me understand it? That's a better use of my anger. Let me give you a second set of thoughts, though, and and that has to do with what if your frustration and your hurt or your anguish, uh, you're angry with someone, not with the Lord, but with someone. Well, the first thing I, I wanted to remind everyone is that that anger and frustration is a normal part of the human experience. Um, it's not possible for two people to work together or live together or enjoy a vacation together or have a project together or be married or have children together without having conflict. We're not the same. Now, we may have similar values or even identical values, but we're not the same people. We see things differently. One person's emotions are not as the same as the others. One, One person's way of thinking things through is not the same as the other one. One person does it quickly. Somebody else takes a little more time. This is the natural, normal thing of human beings interacting. So it's how we respond to the disagreement that's the issue. If we let it flare us up, if we don't rein it in, it's kind of like a horse going crazy. If we don't rein that baby in, he's going he's gonna to get the wind, get his head, and, and you'll never stop him. And what you'll end up with is a, a line of bodies that you've slayed behind you and 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 certainly in a in the life of a christian in work or home or personal relationships that's not what we want. So the first thing i said in, in in just being practical here for a minute is take a few minutes and try to identify the real cause, the real cause of the of the displeasure. What's really at work here? Two things will will actually three trigger some irritation in me and they have nothing to do with the incident at hand. One, if, I, if I'm tired, really tired. Two, if I'm really hungry. Or three, if I have to use the restroom. I'm, I'm being graphic here, but it's the truth. So if, if, if I come in the doors, you know, fussing about something that was out in the yard, and, and I'm, I'm walking in the house fussing, it may be just I'm tired or I'm hot, or I might even just need to run to the little girl's room. When, when you can identify the real frustration Maybe you're, you know, letting it out at your wife. And really the frustration is you didn't get the bonus you thought you were going to get. And finances are a little tight this month. And you, and you haven't shared that yet. That's the real reason. But what you're doing is, I don't know, fussing about who put the, the shoes in the wrong place. So if you can take a few minutes to go, why am, I, why am I going off here? What's the real reason? The second thing is to take a few minutes to gain control. That slip into your room, slip into the closet, go outside, jump in the shower, go sit in your car for a minute. I don't care what it is. Take the dog for a walk, but take a few moments so that you gain control. Because anger is part of the reactive be- behavior. I'm just reacting. I'm, I'm not controlling it. It's just it's coming out when I can rein it in and take a few minutes and, and just give myself a second. Maybe that's all it takes to, to have a little self-control. And during those few seconds, obviously, if you can pray, so much the better. I mean, I remember so many times with Brianna when she was 14, 15, 16 years old. And she's screaming, screaming, screaming in my face. And I've suggested she go to her room for a few minutes. Really, what I was doing was grabbing some time for me to try to get some self-control. You know, praying as I go up the stairs. Lord, I need wisdom here. I, I can get into that vortex and go right with her or... I can exercise some spiritual maturity and and stay out of the of the of the spin. Now that leads me to what I put down as I, you know, section number four or step number four: choose a course of action, choose it, let it be intentional on your part. It's not reactive. It's not same old same old. I'm irritated to you because I'm I'm going to choose what my next step is, and the first one is. Maybe a confrontation is necessary. It's possible that your 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 partner at work, or your actual wife or husband, or kids, or the next door neighbor. Maybe there does need to be a little bit of a gentle confrontation. Um, in in Leviticus, it talks about: Do not have your uh, brother, do not hate your brother, rather in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so that you will uh, not share in his guilt. Sometimes you need to get with someone and be frank about it. Hey. This situation, this is not working. It's not working for me. I don't think it's working for you. Let's talk about it in a minute. And maybe for a moment or two, it's uncomfortable. But once it gets resolved, great. So maybe you you do some confronting. Not always, but maybe. And never in anger. Never, ever, ever. It's not discipline if you scream at your kids. All it is is making you feel better. Discipline is always done from a heart of love. Never from a heart of irritation. So if you're irritated, then then stop. You know, tag team with your spouse and they go in and do the discipline or just delay it for a while or something because you cannot discipline in anger. Nor should you speak to your spouse when you're really mad at them. So take a little time out. The second thing, though, is maybe compromise is called for. The great example in the New Testament is the account that we find in Acts 15, where the church is faced with, well, what do we do about all these Gentile believers? Do we make them do all the Jewish things? And and, and the Jewish leaders, they, they really were confronted with a, a major issue. And in the end, what they decided to do was compromise. No, they don't have to do this and this, But but could they avoid the eating of the blood stuff? Could they avoid this? Could they not do that? There was a gentle compromise that was reached. When we get irritated or upset about something with another party, sometimes... Sometimes it just—it's a good thing to say. All right, I'm not going to get my way here. You're not going to get your way. Is there something that works for both of us? A little of this, a little of that. I'm not really happy. You're not really happy. Okay, now we're good. Compromise is a healthy choice. And then lastly is—is is the expression "choose to let it go" when you can. You know the little girl song. Uh, is it out of Frozen? Let it go. I can sing only the first three, three or four bars, and you wouldn't want to hear it anyway. But you know, there are many times in a in a conflict situation where what runs through my mind is that silly refrain of that song, "Just let it go, let it go. It's not worth it. It's not worth the hurt in the other person's eyes. It's not worth the 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 dialogue, the the vit, you know the vitriolic that's the word vitriolic exchange, the hurt feelings, the you know, the, the pouting or we're not going to talk or I, I don't know what to do about this. And, you know, and it, and it strings out. It's not worth it. Just let it go. Now, some things are worth it. <coughs> Pardon me, just a second. Some things are, are necessary to be talked out. The, 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 the verse I put in your notes about letting it go, though, it says a man's wisdom gives him patience. And it is to his glory to overlook an offense. I, I, I have to give myself little points when I do that. When, when I actually notice that I let something go, I say to myself, hey, you get a point for that. You get a point. You get a point. Nobody else hears about it. Nobody sees my points. But I have to have a little reward system for myself. Maybe you don't. But saying to yourself, let it go, is the healthiest response. So I put down in your notes, Jonah didn't get his way. And so he struck back at Yahweh. He struck back in frustration and in anger. And then God asked him, asks them those two questions. Is there any really good reason for you to be angry? And, and, and Jonah was so angry, he couldn't answer. But if he could, he would have said, no. And I think when God looks at us, when we're allowing our anger and our frustration to build up to the point where we're hurting someone else, and we're no longer listening to the Lord and the Spirit, he could look at us and say, so Sherry, you, you got a good reason for that? And my answer would have to be, no, I don't. And at that point, I need to stop. So, I think that's the message to Jonah. Instead of being the spiritual giant that he could have been, he ends up in chapter 4, we're not finished with the book, but we, he ends up at a very low point. He has, he has shown his frustration and his anger. He's got no good reason for it. And there he sits, just pouting. And that's not where I want to be with my walk. And I know it, I know it's not where you want to be either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this book, the amazing amount of truth and application that we've been able to see. Thank you so much for helping us to identify some of these topics and deal with them. Help us to have self-control. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my friends...